0: Let's go to the Lord again in prayer. Heavenly Father, once again we thank You for Your salvation that is so rich and so free. We don't know whether you will <clears throat> take us by the hand and lead us through that glory world or not. But we do know one thing it says that we shall see you as you are. We shall see our Lord. We shall see your face. And that in itself is astounding. Oftentimes as we live out our lives here upon this earth, we are tempted and wondering, is it all real? And we know pretty much as soon as we're tempted with such evil thoughts that they're wrong. And yet we know that we shall have this constant warfare as we live out our lives in this sinful body. No, we're not what we used to be but we sure are not what we desire to be. As the beloved Apostle spoke, that when I would do good, evil is present with me. And how to perform that which is good, I find not. And that there is Two laws working in me. But someday, when it's all said and done, we will be in our glorified bodies, totally separate from sin. not having any evil thoughts, no doubtful thoughts, no thoughts of self-pity, not being bombarded by the wiles and cunning craftiness of the world, not being assaulted By the God of this age, the devil himself, or by any of the wicked angels. And yet, as the beloved John said, we know not what we shall be. You haven't told us. Though we get a glimpse from time to time, that is that we'll be in a glorified body. We'll be in a sinless body. We will not be plagued by sin. And all of that is foreign to us. We will have our own abiding place, whatever that is, And we will dwell forever in a sea of eternal bliss. And we are quick to say, Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Nevertheless, we must abide and abide faithful as we live out our lives here upon this earth. Oftentimes we look at ourselves and wonder why in the world we're still here. What benefit are we? And yet it is not for us to declare that that's your business. I do pray that you would bless us to have the Spirit of the beloved Apostle when he said to live is Christ. Once again, we thank you for your Word that we're about to look at. Thank you that you have not left us to ourselves that You have given us clear, concise insight concerning You, concerning ourselves, and how we are to live upon this earth. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. (coughs) We come back to... 1 John chapter 2, and I'm going to read the first two verses, though we will take up in verse 2 and look at it uh, this morning. My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the Righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And <clears throat> last Lord's Day afternoon, we looked at the fact that we have an advocate with the Father. <clears throat> and we pointed out that when we go to trial here uh, in this world, and we have a lawyer to represent us, then we have an advocate with us. But here it says we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And just to read that and to meditate on that is a glorious reality in and of itself. But not only do we have a, an advocate, but this advocate is the propitiation for our sins. The propitiation for our sins. This English word, propitiation, means the act of appeasing wrath and conciliating the favors of an offended person, the act of making propitious. This is coming from Webster's 1828 Dictionary. But he gave a second definition for theology. And he said, In theology the atonement or atoning sacrifice offered to God to assuage His wrath and render him propitious to sinners. Christ is the propitiation for our sins or for the sins of men. And he referenced Romans chapter three as well as First John 2. I'll turn back there for just a, a moment and read there in Romans chapter three <clears throat> and see how this word is used there. Most everyone knows about (coughs) Romans 3.23, and I'll start at that. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But then here is one of the uh, treasured passages of Scripture. And for those of you who know and read my book on justification, this is uh, one of the passages that I Uh, centered the book around being justified freely without a cause, that is, by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And then notice verse 25, "...whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past, through the forbearance of God. <clears throat> and then uh, Webster went on to say with regard to the theological definition which said it was an atonement or an atoning sacrifice, atone means to be at one or together. At one. <clears throat> In fact, you might look at the word atonement and you might break it down at and say at one mint. At one mint, It means to be at one. You remember in the Old Testament on the day of atonement, the high priest was to... <coughs> was to take a lamb and he was to sacrifice the lamb and he was to go into the temple to make uh, uh, an atonement for himself. Then he had two goats and he had to cast lots and one of the goats was called the scapegoat where they confessed all the sins all the iniquities and all the transgressions of Israel on the head of the scapegoat and sent it out into the wilderness to die. The other goat they, uh, they killed to make a sin offering. <clears throat> and I fail to mention that uh, before the uh, high priest uh, killed the the lamb, he had to go into the tabernacle, and to take off his royal garments, and put on linen garments. And then he killed the lamb, and then the goat was killed, and he went into the tabernacle, and he made an atonement for the altar of incense. I mean for the the table of showbread, for the candlestick for the altar of incense, for the tabernacle. And then he went into the Holy of Holies and sprinkled the blood upon the mercy seat to make uh, an, a, an, a, a sin offering and an atonement for the people. And then when the high priest, uh, before he uh, came back out, he had to take off his uh, ro- uh, uh, linen garments and put on back on his royal garments, and then the high priest was back with the people at one with them in all of his glorified form. And someday our high priest is going to come back out of the temple all dressed up in his holy splendor, and we're going to be at one with him but the thing that we want to focus upon in all of that is that and we'll see this here in a few minutes but I'll go ahead and explain it to you the the mercy seat if you remember the mercy seat was a gold lid that sat on top of the uh the uh <laughs> the uh Ark of the Covenant. I couldn't think of it. had the Ark of the Covenant. And that word for mercy seat is the same word for propitiation as we'll see here shortly. It's not exactly this Greek word, but it's one of the uh, cousins for it. This Greek word for propitiation in 1 John 2 and 1... It's the Greek word, elosmos, and it's used here in 1 John 2.2 and in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 10, where it says, Herein is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. But then the the verb, El or Ame, is found two times in the New Testament. And since we're in first John we'll look at them going backward. It's in Hebrews chapter two, Hebrews chapter two. In verse 17, Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. But then Luke chapter 18 is a very... Glorious passage with regard to the reconciliation in <clears throat> Luke chapter 18. And I want to begin in verse 9. And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, I always have to pause when I read that and wonder how often or how much of my prayers are nothing more than me talking to myself. Notice he prayed thus with himself. He was just talking to himself. But he didn't think he, he thought he was doing more than that. God, I thank thee that I am not like other men. Uh, as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. <clears throat> you know how you know how often God required the children of Israel to fast. He only required them one time a year. This guy said, "I fast twice a week." I'm really I'm really doing something. I give tithe of all I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, and smote upon his breast, saying, God be merciful to me a sinner. That word merciful is our word propitiation. God, be propitious toward me, a sinner. I need Your covering. I need the blood to cover for my sins. Jesus went on to say, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. And then there's the neuter noun for this same word, which is you can hear the, the sound of it somewhat. Helasterion and it's likewise found two times and we've already read one of them that's in Romans 325 but the other is in Hebrews chapter 9 Hebrews chapter 9 I'm get my pages working right here. Hebrews chapter nine. <clears throat> and verse five, and over it the cherubims of glory shadowing the mercy seat is that word propitiation the mercy seat. And so you can see, beloved, that the mercy seat was that that covered the law of God that was in the uh, Ark of the Covenant. But we have a propitiation for our sin. we have one that has made a covering by His blood for our sins. In other words, it is the person and work of Christ that reconciles us to God. It was the blood on the mercy seat at the Feast of the Atonement in the Old Testament that typified our being at one or reconciled with God. And we have the blood of Christ that has been shed for us to show that we are at one We are reconciled to God. That's a great blessing. To be reconciled to God. That you're not at enmity with God. And then it says here that He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And we have to uh, look at this And from the context of 1 John, and you remember in the beginning, we believe that uh, John wrote this epistle uh, mainly to Jews, but here he's saying that uh, the whole world is, uh, that Christ is the propitiation for the sins of the whole world. Well, we know, according to the rest of the Bible, And remember, when you come across a passage of Scripture that seems to give you some problems, you need to always interpret that passage with the overall interpretation of the Bible. You never build a doctrine on one verse of Scripture. And we know from many other verses that God had an elect that He chose in Christ Jesus before the world began. Ephesians one three. John 6.38 Jesus said, I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of Him that sent me. And this is the Father's will, that of all which He hath given me, I should lose nothing but raise it up again at the last day. And many, many other passages of Scripture And if Jesus Christ made reconciliation for every human being, then none would be lost. But we know according to the Scriptures, there are some that will be sent to hell, cast into the lake of fire in the day of judgment. And you remember the trilogy that we have given to you from John Owen that Christ either died for all the sins of all men or He died for all the sins of some men or He died for some of the sins of all men. And obviously, if He died for all the sins of all men, none would be uh, lost. And we've already seen that that's not the case. And if He died for some sins of all men, none would be saved. Because no man can pay for sin. So He died for all of the sins of some men. And so, believing that John was writing to mainly a Jewish audience. He was saying that the propitiatory sacrifice of Christ was not limited to the Jews, but it extended also to the Gentiles. You see, there's not one way of salvation for the Jews and another way of salvation for the Gentiles. There's not one way of salvation for the Christian and another way of salvation for the heathen salvation is by the person and work of the lord jesus christ and no other and we have to keep that in mind the word world is used as a general expression rather than as an absolute absolute term is clear by many passages in Revelation thirteen three, it says that all the world wondered after the beast. And yet, in Revelation twenty and four, it says that there were many who uh, that there were many that did not receive his mark or worship the beast. So if all the world worshiped the beast then what about where do those came come from that didn't worship the beast You see it the word world is not an absolute term it's a general term You know it's like uh when I was going to school sometimes uh some of my schoolmates might be wearing some uh, particular type of clothing and and I wanted to get it or some maybe some type of footwear or, or something, and I come home and I uh, ask my parents about it, and they said, no, you can't do that. And I said, well, everybody's doing it. Of course you remember, you probably know what the answer was. My parents said, I don't care what everybody's doing, you're not doing it. <laughs> when everybody wasn't doing it. If everybody were doing it, I would have been doing it too. You see, it says, uh, in, in the first, uh, in the Gospel of Matthew and Mark, at the beginning it talks about that all the world went out to John to be baptized. Well, all the world wasn't baptized, but generally people from all classes went out, and everybody went out. All different types of people went out to be baptized. It says in Revelation 12:9 that that Satan deceived the whole world. And yet in, Revel- in Matthew twenty four twenty four it says that if it were possible for him to deceive the very elect, it's not possible for him to, to deceive the elect. The elect will, won't be deceived. You say, well, what about the Antichrist? What about all that time? What about the beast, the false prophet? How, I, I, how do I know that I won't, uh, uh, won't be deceived? If you're one of the lords, you won't be. You say, well, how, how, can, how can you prove that? By the fact that God said His elect will not be. I don't know the details. I don't know how it's going to be. I don't know how God's going to work on your mind and on your soul. But as Paul said, when he was in the midst of the sea, in the midst of the storm, he said that none are going to drown. And he said, and I believe God. I believe God. I I always like that. I believe God. I believe God. There are other expressions in the Bible that talks about the whole world lies in wickedness, all the flesh uh, of the world, the Gentiles, all men, uh, the Savior of the world, and so on. Uh, there's many other passages that talks about mankind in general. That means Jew and Gentile and all different kinds of people. You know, First Timothy 2, one, uh, chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. Uh, we made mention of it in our prayer this morning. Yeah, but it says that we're to pray for all men, for kings and all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and a peaceable life. We, we're to pray for all different kinds of folks. All different kinds of folks. Does that mean that ever all different... Um, that does that... that Does that mean that everyone for whom we pray will be saved? No, but it means that all different kinds of people will be saved. It appears that God saved a heathen uh, ruler like Nebuchadnezzar. And so uh, God can save anyone he wishes and however he wishes. He could even save our current president and vice president. You say, Well, I don't know about that. Well I do, God said so. How often have you prayed that God would save them? We're commanded to, you know. We can we can run down our politicians when they don't do what we think they ought. But if we prayed for them as much as we run them down, we might find a better nation. Who knows? We need to keep that in mind. But anyway, all kinds. All kinds. Another thought that I heard someone else say a few months ago listening to a sermon and I never had thought about it. Another application that could be made for the whole world here is that it may be referring that God's propitiatory sacrifice is not only for us, but also for others outside of our own theological bias. You know, sometimes we get the idea unless somebody believes like we believe and act like we act and live like we live, that nobody else is going to be saved. His, propiti- His propitiatory sacrifice is to all the world. There may be others, like I said, outside of our theological bias whom God has saved. Have you ever thought about that? The whole world. It's not just limited to me and four and no more. It's not just limited to Calvinists. Not just limited to those who believe in the doctrines of grace. You say, well, how do you explain all of that? I don't have to explain it. That's for God to do. I don't know the hearts of men. I do believe this, that there are people whose theology may be wrong, but they're trusting in Christ alone. They trust in Christ alone. And so we have to leave that as it is. But we do know this. There is only one way of salvation. There's only one way of salvation. It is by, <coughs> it is by the perpetuatory sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. Whomever the whole world is involved, everyone for whom Christ died is included in that world. Everyone for whom Christ died is included in that world. Like I said, there's not one way of salvation for the Jews and another for the Gentiles. Some people say the Jews were saved by keeping the law. The Gentiles were saved by grace. No, the Jews were saved by grace as well. You remember when we read, uh, when we went through the book of Galatians? Paul said that if you have the same faith as Abraham, you're saved the same way that Abraham was. And that's by the seed. And who is the seed? Christ. We're saved by the same, same, same individual. The Jew doesn't have a head start on salvation. 1 Timothy 2 5 tells us there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. I'm not a mediator between you and God. I can pray for you, and we should pray for one another. That's called intercessory prayer. But I'm not a mediator between you and God. Neither is any other preacher, nor is any priest or any pope. They're not a mediator between you and God. The only mediator between God and man, there's only one, and that's the man, Christ Jesus. If you're trusting in any other than the Lord Jesus Christ, then you're not trusting in the only salvation for sinners. Well, much more could be said about that. The next part is verses 3-6 through 6, where it talks about keeping the commandments of the Lord. And hereby we do know that we know Him, if we keep His commandments. He that saith, I know Him, and keepeth not His commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth His word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in Him, and he that saith, He abideth in Him, ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. Obedience assures us that we know God. Hereby do we know, hereby do we know that we know Him. Now notice it doesn't say, hereby we might think we know that we know Him. He doesn't say, hereby hope we know. Hereby we know. You know whether you love God or not if you keep His commandments. Now the question is, are you keeping His commandments? Now immediately we like to think, or we sometimes think, Well, I I hope I do. That's not what it says, is it? It didn't say hereby we know that we know Him if I hope I keep His commandments. This is based on your knowledge of keeping the commandments and knowing that you know God. J.I. Packard many, many years ago wrote a book called Knowing God. A very, very good book. I read it and wound up preached, I think 22 sermons on knowing God. And most of it came out of 1 John. I was raised with the idea that you couldn't know whether you were a child of God or not you could hope you were but you couldn't know well first john explodes that idea it tears it all to pieces and jesus christ teaches us that we are to know that we know him Now let me say this about keeping the commandments. We have to interpret this in light of verses 8-10 through in chapter 1. Because it says that if any man says he has no sin, he's a liar. And the truth is not in him. We all have sin. So when it talks about keeping the commandments of God, it's not talking about sinless perfection. But it's talking about a way of life. It's talking about a way of life. Your life, your life is disciplined by the Word of God. And you live your life according to the teachings of the Word of God. That doesn't mean that you won't slip sometimes. But it says that what it is that channels you into the service of God is the Holy Scriptures. When I lived on the farm, uh, I used to plow the garden. And when I raised some uh, tobacco one year by myself, I worked it with a mule. And I had to use the, the gear on the mule, the bridle, and the, uh, the, the, the lines to guide the mule. I had to use that to channel that mule to make sure it stayed between the rows. If I left the mule by itself, it's just liable to go cattywampus across the garden or the tobacco field and plow up everything. And so I, it was the gear on the mule and me using that gear properly that kept the mule in the channel between the rows. It is the Word of God that keeps the child of grace living as God would have him to live. If you want to call it the law, I don't say it's just the Ten Commandments. I say it's the whole Word of God. It's the whole Word of God. And sometimes when you may be tempted, let's say that somebody uh, talks to you about some preacher and all you know is the hearsay, then you think of Timothy where Paul said, unless there's two or three witnesses, don't accept it. We're quick to pick up gossip, aren't we? And we have to ask God to forgive us of things of that nature. But if we are where we ought to be, we'll say, well, you know, I don't know whether that's true or not. We're not talking about common knowledge. In other words, if something is common that a minister has done, like I'm thinking of one individual that in his 80s is in jail now for the crime that he committed. And sometimes we may get caught up in gossip, and then we realize this is not right. This is not right. In other words, we could name numerous sins, but we know that we love God if we are keeping His commandments. We're living our life is being guided and directed by the Word of God. That's the reason when you're in the checkout and the cashier gives you too much money, you say, hey, you gave me too much money. Before you're born again, you say, well... uh, they just they lost out. But you give you, you you see the mistake and you let the person know that there's a mistake. You don't try to take advantage of them. You don't try to take advantage of them. That's the reason. One of the reasons from time to time, I call up our landlord and say, we haven't gotten a utility bill lately. Because I know that if, if we don't do that, sometimes they he forgets. Now the utility company changed their schedule about a year or two ago and it kind of threw him off his regular schedule, but it's just hard for me to say, "Well, uh, he ought to know better." And so I've called him from time to time because I believe that's the honest thing to do, the honest thing to do. And I hope you get the idea of what it is that of keeping his commandments. We know, we know, not we think, not we believe, not we hope so. But we know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. Now, as you will see as we go further in this epistle, we could easily say, hereby we know that we love Him if we keep His commandments. Children, that's the way you know that you love your parents. Are you keeping their commandments? Is that your desire to keep their commandments? Or are you trying to get by with as much as you can? Same thing with God. We know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. Like what Pete said when he said, the grand truth of Christ's advocacy and atoning sacrifice will not, when savingly apprehended, induce a careless walk or encourage a spirit of lawlessness. Where Christ is truly known as Lord and Savior, His authority is gladly owned. If He is loved, there will be no question about obedience. A spiritual apprehension of what Christ has done and is now doing for us is the most effective means and motive unto a God-honoring life As the heart is brought under the power of the same, it is blessedly disposed unto every good word and work. The truth of God, rightly believed, will produce a life of holiness. The truth of God, rightly believed, will produce a life of holiness. It will never produce a life of licentiousness. Well, we'll come back and take up with this a little bit more this afternoon. Christ is the propitiation for our sins. How do how do I know that He died for my sins? Are you keeping His commandments? Are you keeping His commandments? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, John, through your inspiration, is quite clear and quite pointed about it all. Help us to hide thy word in our hearts, that we might live in such a way that is honoring and pleasing unto you.